1: It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's
0: longest-running conservative talk show,
1: He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion.
0: He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. I have to tell you a quick story that I think is apropos as we meet our next guest tonight. Years ago, I was a cigarette smoker. And uh, I tell you what finally got me to quit. Besides the fact that I earned my living with my voice, and it's probably not a bright idea to be hacking and coughing when you're on the radio, I, I will never forget having um, lit a cigarette, I never would never smoke in the car, but I smoked in my truck, and um, driving one day with the lit cigarette, and I had a brand new pair of slacks on. And this is, I'm going to, state myself here when I tell you that at the time, a $30 pair of slacks were an expensive pair of slacks. And turning the corner with the, you know, the one-handed thing, cigarette smokers out there in the audience or former ones, you know, the deal where you're very cool, you have the cigarette in your hand poised, and you're turning the steering wheel while you're holding the cigarette. Well, I managed to do that, and in doing so, the the head of the cigarette, the lit portion, broke off, fell on my pant leg, and in a moment of sheer genius, I, at a stoplight, started blowing on it. Now, those who took even basic fire-starting techniques in Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts knows that once you get the ember going, if you want it to go into a flame, you provide what? Oxygen. So, of course, I managed to not only burn a sufficiently sized hole in my brand new pair of slacks, but it also burn my leg in the process. Yeah, if you thought I was a Rhodes Scholar, I've just proven to you not so. I did what a lot of people would do. I think, under the circumstances, being very embarrassed and upset with myself, I got home and, after the chagrin of having not only burnt my leg but damaged this brand new, first time I'd worn them pair of slacks, decided that I would, I'm, I'm I can handle this. I can take a needle and thread, and I am going to patch it. Well, you've never seen a worse patch job in your life. It was horrifically obvious. I attempted to take the injury, what was created as pristine, damaged in this fire, I attempted to then patch it up. And I've got to tell you, I will win no awards for my amateur level sewing skills. Somebody told me about tailors, though, that could do restoration work. And I took that pair of slacks down to the tailor and said, here's the story. Can you fix them? Sure. Come back in a day. That tailor rewove that burn section in such a fashion that it was absolutely like new again. You'd never know that I had done that stupid thing that I did. I think the story fits as we... Meet our guest tonight Because all of us I think in life Have gone through those moments Of being burned and charred And damaged and wounded And sometimes we wear that pain As we acknowledge it like a badge of honor But it stays with us And that wound is very clear And very obvious And there are times that we will attempt To mend that wound In a certain fashion But the patchwork that we've done also remains obvious. Then there's a manner in which we can surrender to God whose stated involvement interjecting himself, coming down and interjecting himself in in the affairs of mankind that provides not just healing and reconciliation, but restoration. God at the end of the day wants to heal the wounded soul and restore it. And much like my pants, make them whole once again. Cynthia Rukti joins us tonight. She is a multiple award-winning author. And the latest book that she's written is Tattered and Mended, The Art of Healing the Wounded Soul. And Cynthia, thanks so much for being with us this evening. It's my great joy. Thank you. So I guess we've kind of all embarrassed ourselves that way, you know, either through something crazy like what I did and and the attempt at trying to patch it again and, uh, you know, it looking pretty obvious and and very embarrassing. Uh, And I guess the the analogy, as you share inside the pages of this new book, Tattered and Mended, fits when it comes to our daily lives.
1: Oh, so very much so. There are so many ways in which... We can have our soul either worn through or worn thin or worn out by the decisions that we make or by the things that other people do that that influence that, that, that really wear away at our souls. Sometimes it's just the dailies of life. But then there are other times in which it's those that event, that single event or that moment that just seems to shatter us. I found your story so interesting, Craig, because in in reality you marked that moment, even that that moment of unthinking or whatever you wanna call it that caused the injury, that was a defining moment for you too, and it was part of a turnaround moment as well. So even though there was a um a disaster and then there was a mess made in trying to patch it up when you took it to the expert it wound up being not only this this uh, remarkable mend but it also was a turnaround moment for you, too.
0: Oh, absolutely so. Not not only in terms of the restoration of my pants being made whole again, but right. I will also say with a sense of great uh, honor that that was the last cigarette, and that was many, many years ago, that is the last cigarette that I ever smoked. Isn't,
1: isn't that incredible? <laughs> what I, I wish I'd known that story when I wrote the book. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, you know, the interesting thing, and you make note of this early on inside the pages of Tattered and Mended, uh, um, you know there's a lot these days in the you know talk shows, both radio and tv about you know facing your troubles, admitting your pain uh, you know uh, recovery programs that help you uh, sort of wear your your wounded experiences in life like a badge of honor mm-hmm. and I wonder if ultimately and certainly that can be a step on the road to to healing and restoration, but I really wonder if that's exactly the plan that God ultimately has for us. Does he want us to simply wear our wounded experiences in life as a badge of honor, or does that fall short of his ideal?
1: I, I think very definitely we can look at his plan as he's laid it out in, in his word and realize that his intention all along was for healing. He expressed that so many times in the stories that he told. And and when we get to know his heart, when we see in his word what his heart is, we realize that he he not only has prepared a method for us to be healed but really in in actuality from the beginning of time his desire even before time began his desire to send Jesus was for that very purpose to make whole what was broken to restore what was tattered and in a global sense and in a large sense we see that in regard to to the very reason that Jesus came to earth and then we see that in those individual stories of what Jesus did while he was here on earth and we see that in the hope that he gives us for our own futures whether we've been messed up and our lives tattered and shattered by by the experiences that we've had that have n- not been wisdom's choice or it's been traumas that have been thrust upon us or, or just a weariness from trying to get through this life in less than ideal circumstances. I think back to even your, your call for prayer about your mom. When my own mom was in her last phase of life, I remember having this feeling rush over me who is going to pray for me like my mom has over the years and that left this kind of hollowness within me well it doesn't matter if it's that kind of thing or and evil perpetrated against us, we still can wind up in this place where we feel threadbare in our souls. But I believe and I believe that God's Word tells us very clearly that His intention is He invites us into His mending room. The world people we know they're tattered and the world says then let's make tattered fashionable, let's let's make that the new norm and instead God very tenderly and powerfully at the same time invites us to come and mend.
0: And you know when we think about the fact that the God that we serve who who fashioned us in the first place uh, we can come in in our human limitations and frailty and attempt to try and cover things up, patch things up as I did. I thought, well, I'm going to see if I clip a little bit of uh, material from the the cuff of the pant and then I can very carefully sew that in there with some gray colored thread and maybe nobody will notice. Well, at the end of the day, who was I kidding? Everybody noticed. And and so as much as I did my my, my human level attempt to try and and restore that injury that damage um the fact of the matter is it was not like new and and the the wound so to speak the damage was there and still obvious for everyone to see and yet the expert came in and said oh no we have a plan we can make it just as if the accident or the injury or the burn in this case had never happened fully restored. And that's the kind of business, so to speak, that our God is in. If he is capable of creating us, he is certainly capable of restoring us. We'll talk more about that in a moment. This might be a conversation that a friend you know needs to hear. That individual who is shattered and wounded and dealing with brokenness, And they so long to be restored and yet have convinced themselves that perhaps the best that they'll ever be able to hope for is just to kind of be patched up again. But the message tonight is that God is in the business of full restoration as if the wound had never happened. We'll take a time out, come back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation. Cynthia Ruti is with us tonight. We're talking about her book, Tattered and Mended, The Art of Healing the Wounded Soul. Let's talk a bit about this whole notion of the difference between just sort of patching things up and, and actually being legitimately mended so that you're, you're, you're fully usable again. Uh, you talk in the book about darning socks, and I had to laugh because I imagine a lot of people don't even know what a darning egg is, yet I have very vivid memories of my grandmother sitting there at the kitchen table sometimes with a darning egg mending my socks when i was a kid and that notion of being able to go in and very carefully and lovingly patch or restore that area so that it's just like it was when it was new
1: not not only that but i think one of if you take that even a step farther we realize that God creates art from our brokenness. He is the master artist and there is a there's a whole realm of understanding within him of that when he's done with us, not only can it look like new, it may look different than it was in the beginning because it may be better, more exquisite, more more clearly defined. We may be actually a piece of artwork when he finishes with the mending process with us that that is so his heart he's such a creative god we know that many if we walk into an art studio we will probably find that it's messy there's paint spatters all over the floor if it's a stained glass artist there will be glass shards all over the floor but if you walk into the art gallery what you see is beauty and something that takes our breath away and that's what he is able to do sometimes in the middle of the process it gets a little messy but in the end what we have is something that others can look at and find hope for their own healing And there's a story that's created that also shows that caring and very powerful and artistic heart of God in the middle of it, too.
0: You know, they're going to think we're running a sewing circle here tonight, (laughs) Uh, Cynthia. But the, the thought comes to mind, do you ever watch Antiques Roadshow? I do, yeah. A lot of people, in, now don't raise your hand if you're driving and I want you to crash the car, but if you watch Antiques Roadshow from time to time, it's always fascinating. And the one thing that I always get the big kick on, besides trying to guess the prices, somebody will come in, for example, with the quilt. Mm-hmm and they will talk about its history, this, that, and the other thing, and then here's the value, and all of a sudden that little treasure chest rolls across the bottom of your screen, and there's the price tag, $30,000. Mm. And, you know, it it's always struck me that the person or group of individuals working together that created that quilt, and back in the you know turn of the last century or two centuries ago now, it was often groups of women that would create these quilts. Mm-hmm. They took the castaways. Mm-hmm. They took the shirt that could no longer be worn, the pants, like the ones that I damaged, that were ripped and torn, and they didn't see them as old rags. Mm-hmm. They saw the potential of what they could become mm-hmm. once they had been sliced and sewn together with brilliant colors and designs and patterns and if you here's the interesting thing if you could remove all the stitching and gather the original articles of clothing from which all of those portions of material came from And pile them in the floor in the corner. You know what you'd have? You'd have a pile of worthless rags Mm -hmm. that somebody would come along and say, oh, i got to do some dusting. Can I have one of those? Hey, I'm changing the oil on the car. I need one of those. That's what their value was. In the original tattered and torn condition, they were worthless. But somebody came along and said, you know what? I think I can take that reject." that everybody else passes by or just treats as an old rag and create out of it something beautiful. Is that the way, is that the way God sees us?
1: Oh, I think very definitely so. There, we can be useful for common purposes or we can be useful for divine purposes. And often what it takes in order for that change to happen is this mending process that sometimes involves a needle and thread. Sometimes it involves a blowtorch. There are other, in, in the book I use um, illustrations that are also, in addition to the fabric arts like these, um, stained glass, which we mentioned, but metal repair. the The roof of the, um, I believe it was the St. Louis airport had the copper roof had to be dismantled because it was um, just getting too worn and beat up, and and the pigeons had found it a very comfortable home. Eventually, then because of the bent and ragged pieces of that, it was the the roof was. Removed and the pieces of copper were put into a dumpster. But the the art uh, guild in that town, in that area, reclaimed those pieces of metal and used them to make jewelry and pieces of furniture and so many beautiful artistic results that came from what looked like it was doomed for the dumpster and that's so so the way that god operates within our lives it so many times too it's not that what it used to be matters so much. It's this stunning work of art that it has become. And and we know that right now we're we're talking to people who are saying, You're, you may be treating this lightly, but my pain is very real and it seems like it's unfixable. Mm. And we, we do understand that. And, and we're saying we want to treat this tenderly. We want to treat the subject of it tenderly, too. We know that your brokenness or your tatteredness may feel like it is so raw, but that call is to realize that God is inviting you to come and mend. He's creating a place for you. Uh, to be meant to be healed, to be made whole, and he can make beauty from from what now seems like it's just a total mess and a total disaster. There are those times, don't you think, I, I would think you would agree, there are those times when the scars remain, but the scars themselves form a tracing of what once was that makes that... Process of healing, all the more beautiful. I have a friend of mine who had a, a portion of her the tissue on her face, on her cheek, removed because there was a fear that it was cancerous. And we all know how we feel about that word, cancer. But it left a scar that the um, that the plastic surgeons weren't going to be able to make smooth again, and she decided that she was going to instead... Be grateful for that spot on her face because the answer had been it's benign. So there are those times when the scars do remain, but God can even use those scars as a story that will help others to have hope for their well, own. Well,
0: you know what dawns on me, Cynthia, that a lot of that also comes down to a matter of perspective. We can see it from the way God sees it, or we can say we see it in the flesh. In the flesh, we see a defect. We see something less than perfect, less than ideal. We see a big ugly scar. But from God's perspective, He sees a thing of beauty. Your friend was able to see it from a different perspective that this didn't represent a a blemish, a mar on her face, but rather a reminder that it was not cancerous, that it was not going to get worse. That, in fact, it, it was something that that uh, could be removed or would not ultimately, you know, uh, damage more of her face or eventually, perhaps, potentially take her life. And, I, you know, you, th- you think about the the patchwork that's done. How many of us have ever done this? You've You've had a garment that has been repaired or restored. What I didn't tell you about the pants, when you saw the slacks from the outside, they looked like they just came off the rack, at Nordstrom's, Macy's, you know, pick your favorite uh, retailer. But if you rolled them inside out, you could see the patchwork that had been done on the backside. That The evidence was still there, and yet the impact of it was not the same. And it comes down to a matter of perspective. Do you want to see the evidence that is still there and concentrate just on that patchwork quilt of, of uh, you know uh, restoration work and the extra threads that are hanging there all loose off the backside? Or do you want to see it, and that's from the human perspective, or do you want to see it from God's perspective? We'll come back to more of our conversation. Cynthia Rookte with us today. A look at Tattered and Mended, The Art of Healing the Wounded Soul. A brief time out back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation. Cynthia Rukti, our guest, a look at Tattered and Mended, the art of healing the wounded soul. Let's get to your calls. Andia in Redwood City. Good evening. Come on in with your comment or question for Cynthia Rukti. Oh, hi, Cynthia.
2: Thank you for taking my call. So I was, I was calling to um, ask you, when we do have the opportunity to heal or become whole um, by mending, by way of tragedy that's been presented in our life, um, how, do we, how do we create a space um, for that healing process when we, sometimes we feel overburdened with
1: shame or guilt mm. about what has transpired? Oh my goodness, that is, that's is—that's such an excellent question that is is—that is so much, uh, uh, a very much a part of many people's battle when they're in the middle of this and they're wondering how do they come to that place of wholeness when, when shame or guilt have just overtaken them. And there are... The methods I think that God has been talking about in His Word for for centuries and applies to us very much today. too, of ways that we can create an atmosphere in which we're going to heal best heal. We know and understand that He's invited us to come and heal. How do we create that atmosphere? As you referred to that, and I think one of the one of the starting places is is um, for us to stop. Uh, to stop resisting in a way what it is that he wants to do so we have to kind of almost roll ourselves into his studio if it were like it uh, could be expressed like that and surrender that and even surrender the shame and the guilt to him there's a verse in Psalm that where Dave, the Psalms where David is talking about um, the sins that he had committed and the and the sins that were committed against him and how he's crying out to the Father God and he, he understands then that he's not only forgiven but even the guilt of it is gone. And when I saw those verses for the first time, I thought, oh, Lord God, that is so, it so expresses where so many of us are, that we see our shame and our guilt standing in the way of the mending and the healing that we need. And he's inviting us to even leave that on the floor of the mending room, leave the shame and leave the guilt on the floor of the mending room. The things that we do that help create that atmosphere so many times, what they involve so much our are crawling up closer into his embrace leaning on him understanding that what his word says is true whether we feel it or not and then uh stepping into that place where we will allow ourselves to believe what he said is true that even our shame and our guilt can be gone because of his great love for us, because of this heart of compassion that he has for us, there's a verse in the word too in Isaiah that says, "Nobody can measure the depths of god's understanding." I think in that in this kind of case especially you've you've brought up such a great point, our knowing that he understands that those kinds of things are a barrier to our healing. Makes us a little more free to say, "All right, God, I will. I will trust you even with that, so that that mend can begin."
0: Is it important sometimes to to expose some of that in a in a safe place? And I ask that question because normally, when we're burdened by, overwhelmed by guilt and shame, it's not something that we want to talk about because we feel bad about it. We're embarrassed by it, mm-hmm. and yet I wonder if uh, Cynthia, there are times when And obviously you have to be very careful in terms of selecting where and to whom you might reveal something like this. But I wonder if sometimes even just being able to speak the words can be the beginning of the healing process.
1: I I think that's absolutely true. And I I know in my own life that there there are times when I need to be vulnerable and other times when I need to be very selective about how open and honest I am about a certain shame or guilt and there are i have this handful of trusted friends that i can trust to know god's heart so well that i can i can be that open with them and they won't be condemning and judging but instead they will sit with me they will listen to me and their their love for me won't change because of that i i hope and trust that you have someone like that in your life that you can confide in and maybe once it gets laid out on the table and we see uh, I got it out of he, inside of me where I've been where I've been kind of hoarding that shame and guilt it's out now and exposed to the air it's going to dry up so that healing can begin mm-hmm. I agree
2: with that and I think, I think
1: too that has something to do with our personal relationship with God too oh, so much so he obviously is our first point of listener. He's our he's our first point of who we go to and we confess that that guilt to him. We confess the shame to him. We confess that what has happened to us or what we have done by our own choices is something that we know is not what he has for us long term that he doesn't want us to live in that kind of environment and atmosphere so I think you're absolutely right about that that our the strength of our relationship with him, the growth in our relationship with him is going to make a tremendous difference in that very point.
0: Andy thanks so much for your call I'm reminded of uh, a dear friend and colleague. Who, as it turns out, had been the victim of childhood sexual abuse at the hands of a uncle and had carried this secret for 40 years and uh, is now doing a wonderful job in terms of healing and restoration and recovering. And we got to talking one day and I said, well, I'm, I'm curious for you, what was the breaking point? Uh, where did the healing process, the restoration process, when did, when did God pull out the big darning egg for you and begin, it, uh, begin that restoration? And, and here's what she told me. She said, the first time I was able to speak the words, I am a victim of sexual abuse. It was so painful to even speak the words. She, she could not bring herself to do it. By simply speaking the words, it began that process of healing. Again, you have to be careful in terms of the environment, to whom and where you share those intimate details. Uh, certainly, as we mentioned with the caller a moment ago, uh, the nature and degree of your relationship with God is, is a critical factor in all of that. But sometimes it's just that first step, you know, as they say for the alcoholic, just to admit that there is a problem is oftentimes the most key important step to the beginning of that healing, uh, that journey of healing.
1: When you talk about those first steps, I'm reminded too of a story that is included in the book. Uh, a friend of mine who had had an experience much like that in childhood. And one of the, it was, there were actually some torturous elements to it. And one of the torturous elements was that her abuser liked to hold her head underwater until she passed out. And, of course, after that, then, um, showers and baths and shower time in gym class at school and lakes and rivers and, and swimming and any, anything like that. She had once loved swimming, and, of course, that kind of a experience robbed her of that love for swimming. And it kept her in a place of fear, and obviously, shame, too, and and fear for so many years. And this thing that she had loved so much, swimming, had been stolen from her. And there came a time later on, it wasn't right away, of course, and she grew and matured and she matured in her faith. But there came the day when she walked up to the edge of the water. And then the next time, she walked up to the edge of the water and she dipped one toe in and the next time she was able to go in up to her ankles and the next time up to her knees. And eventually she laid back in the water and swam. And she, she expressed to me that what she had done was reclaimed mm. that from what had been stolen from her. And every time she steps into the water now, every time she swims, she says in her heart, You cannot steal that from me. And obviously it took a great deal of courage and it took many many steps in that process but it was a reclaiming and amending of something that had been so deeply wounded and the courage that it took came from God also and she she knew that it wasn't a human manufactured courage he God truly made art out of that circumstance and that situation and uh, it, it's a story that I just love to rehearse because of uh, what it tells, it, of the hope that it gives the rest of us, that sometimes it is that one step.
0: We'll come back to more of our conversation. Cynthia Rukti with us today. A look at Tattered and Mended, The Art of Healing the Wounded Soul. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation. Cynthia Rukti, our guest, a look at Tattered and Mended, the art of healing the wounded soul. Let's move next to uh, Christina in uh, South San Francisco, my hometown. Christina, good evening. Welcome. You're on KFAX with Cynthia Rukti.
2: Hi, good evening to both of you. Um, I'm wondering about healthy boundaries with family members, that have been very dysfunctional. I've been emotionally abused by quite a few of them since I was a kid and then um, just stayed away from them, but I forgave them, prayed for them from afar. And then just recently, I decided to tell them exactly how I felt in a healthy way and um, they just went into denial. So my question is, I do forgive, but I'm um, just wondering, once you forgive and forgive, I mean, this is like over 20 times. Uh, is it okay to have these boundaries? Is it okay to say, I do forgive, but doesn't mean I have to associate and open myself again because there's just no trust? It's been broken so many times. Mm-hmm.
0: Sure, and there's that sense of hurt and resentment that's there, and, and let's talk about that, uh, Cynthia, in terms of creating those healthy boundaries, and I guess also um, setting realistic expectations. Speak to that too, if you would.
1: I, I, uh, I'm not an expert in that field, psychologically speaking, but what I have observed from friends of mine and from from people in my family and extended family who have had situations that that have been like this, I think... I think my heart would say and I believe that it's supported in God's word too that absolutely it's important to have those healthy boundaries for us to step back into a place of danger or to step back into a place where we're we're made vulnerable to future woundedness is not helping our healing at all when we create that atmosphere of healing that that creative space where god can make art out of the problems in our lives that we have to be careful that we're not submitting ourselves to re-injury now that doesn't mean that we don't forgive but oftentimes god uses the fact that we have memories as a protective layer Mm -hmm. for us that keeps us from being reintroduced into injury again. If we're going to have a wound that is going to heal, it can't get infected. An infected wound is not going to heal properly. We need that place where we are, we where we feel protected and we feel safe. And sometimes that does mean that we have to make some difficult choices about some emotional boundaries.
0: And, and think of the child who uh, burns his or her hand on the stove mm-hmm. um, in the future that child will be very cautious around the stove because they associate it with pain and so, as you point out, sometimes that memory can also serve as a, a protective layer, so to speak, to know that there are certain individuals or circumstances that are not safe and therefore should be avoided. The other thought that comes to mind, and i'm I'm not a doctor on this uh, either Christina, but I played one on the radio once <laughs> um, setting up. Healthy expectations as well. Sometimes, when we are working through the process of of hurt and resentment, and we want to exercise forgiveness, um, sometimes our expectation is that the the person who has wounded us uh, will see our pain, acknowledge it, confess, apologize, change their ways, and you know, the end of the story, and they all lived happily ever after. It doesn't always happen that way. And sometimes we have to be reminded that the person who injured us or wounded us, they are wounded too. Oftentimes our behavior comes out of our own sense of brokenness and and bad experiences in life and and so we we tend to kind of you know mimic what we've experienced and bring it upon others be mindful that they are still wounded or broken themselves we talked earlier about the perpetrator who you know violates a, a young girl the uncle that can't be trusted that, that kind of behavior can only come out of somebody who for themselves is wounded and broken i'm not making excuses here I'm just explaining that we have to set our expectations proper or in balance and understanding that as we are on the pathway toward healing and restoration, experiencing the glory of receiving and and being bathed in God's forgiveness – those who have wounded us may not be in the same place. They may not be in the position to return uh, a, a sense of remorsefulness and an apology or wanting to, to, to restore or, or heal or make whole again. And so sometimes it's just a matter of saying, you know, I'm going to release the anger and bitterness, not hold on to that. Use that as a boundary, as you mentioned a moment ago, as Cynthia, and then recognize that just because we have reached out and, and forgiven them doesn't mean that now everything is going to be flowers and roses and we're going to get along just dandy. I mean, that that, that oftentimes is not the case.
1: I think there's a a quote from the book, too, that I hope will be an encouragement to you, that mending a tattered soul, and we're talking about our tattered soul, your tattered soul, is unrelated to the inability to change the past. Mm. And that's one of the beauties of the artwork that God does within us, that he He does not have to remove the past, which isn't going to happen um, that history is there. But instead, he can make us whole in spite of the past. It's not dependent on being able to make it as if that never happened to us. And uh, certainly in your situation where there were multiple times of these disappointments, that would be true. And, um, and I think you're very wise in thinking that one of the things that you need to do is create those very carefully and prayerfully established healthy boundaries um you've expressed yourself to your family now they they've been in denial Uh, you've prayed for them from afar you said which is such a beautiful thing and now i believe that that you can rest in the fact that god will deal deal with them and you were doing the right thing and moving forward in a healthy way as you trust and lean on him
0: All right, thank you so much for the call, Christina. We've got time for one more, Jarrell. Is that right? Okay, let's uh, jump over to um, Regina. Come on in then with your comment or question for Cynthia Rukti.
2: Hi, I have a question, and and I'm so happy that you guys are having this. Um, I have a a girlfriend who, well, she's a new girlfriend to me, but yesterday she revealed that um, she had been molested by her older brother. And my question is, how do I help her? I mean, I don't know I have told her about my experience and where and how God took me through the steps towards, you know, healing and and restoration. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how to help her to get it, to get you know, to get it what it is she needs.
1: What an excellent, excellent question, and coming from such a compassionate heart, you'd be to to be commended for that. The first thought that comes to my mind is your willingness to be a listener scores so many more points than if you had the right words. Or, if you had a technique to share with her, your willingness to be to be a friend, to remain a friend after you've heard this story, to be faithful to her, to show her examples of what it's like to live a hope filled life and just and just the evidence of that around her, there are so many things that that we feel helpless to do when we want to encourage somebody else who's in such a place of such deep emotional pain as this is. And that mending process isn't going to be easy and everybody's timetable is going to be different for their mending and healing. But your very presence in her life and your listening ear are going to Provide that safe place for her in which she can mend too. Um, There will eventually be times when you suggest can suggest a song maybe a worship song that was meaningful to you there will be other times when you can suggest other things that might be beneficial to her but quoting scripture verses for her and trying to give her the plan that worked for you is going to be less effective and and it's just such a beautiful thing that you're you're expressing this and asking this question but but I would encourage you to serve as that listening ear for her. And eventually she's going to see some of the answers coming to her own heart and mind as she leans on you and as you represent Jesus to her.
0: Cynthia, boy, it's been a great conversation tonight. And I think we've got something started here. This process um, of how God comes along in our lives and can uh, mend and restore that torn, tattered fabric, that tapestry of our life and um, discover and experience what it really means to have the art of healing of the wounded soul. The book, Tattered and Mended, The Art of Healing the Wounded Soul. The new book, by the way, is uh, newly published by Abington Press and available at uh, Christian bookstores uh, throughout the Bay Area. You can also check out Cynthia's website, Cynthia I'll spell that, that's Cynthia, R-U-C-H-T-I, CynthiaRukti.com. Cynthia, thanks so much for the time.